Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. In this series, Kevin presents a summary of his best-selling book, The Foundations of Christian Doctrine. Visit kevinconnor.org for details about where to purchase this popular textbook. All right, now what we're going to talk about, uh, so in our first session, it's important to realise that uh, what we did in our first session, that's the foundation of all all our study. Everything we have to say uh, is based on what we believe about this book. How many can say amen? Amen. That's it. My faith is in this. And uh, someone asked a good question about, uh, you know, the Bible. Uh, It's inerrant inerrancy as to its original manuscripts which there are none so when you have copies of copies of copies and check them all and dead sea scrolls and that but remember truth never changes truth is truth in every generation so uh that's that's important all right now i want you to turn first of all to first corinthians chapter eight and what we're going to be talking about in this session is the god of the bible all right so session one has been clear i hope Uh, divine revelation of the scriptures and how important that is in which philosophy we go through and now number two the God of the Bible I want you to go to 1st Corinthians chapter 8 now I'm going to read uh, uh, from uh, I've got old King James here and new King James here but uh, the main verse I'm after um, Let's go to verse 1 just to lead into it, and I'll read from New King James here. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, or love edifies. If it, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. How many have found that the more you know, the less you know? Yes. I mean, I've got... Lots of years. I'm 82 years young. But the more I know, the less I know. And when I was on an ego trip one time, (laughs) I thought, I'm going to read the Bible, get to know all the Bible there is. But after 60 years or more, I think, I'll never exhaust it. Like one minister in New Zealand, he said, the Bible's exhausted. I've exhausted the Bible. He said, no, the Bible exhausted you. (laughs) If we could exhaust the book, we'd exhaust the author. So the more I know, the less I know. This book is inexhaustible. Hallelujah. All right, why did I say that? must have been for someone. All right, so if anyone loves God, uh, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, think of idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Now, this is the verse I want you to pick up. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, so many gods and many lords, once you pick that up, yet for us, and old King James says, but to us, there is one God. There's many gods and so-called gods, but to us, there's one God. Amen? And then... there's many lords but to us uh, oh let me read that verse 6 again yet for us there is one God the Father by whom are all things and we for him and one Lord and some of the new translations have like there are many lords one Lord comma Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live so that's what I want to talk about the God of the Bible now As you look at all the different religions and so forth, 
and uh, these philosophies. Plenty of beliefs in God, yes. But the question is, and, and, and please, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. Um, how many have ever been able to witness to uh, a, a Muslim brother or person? Okay. All right. Here's something that we have to sort out because I'm amazed that so many ministers say, well, Allah and God are one and the same person. How many believe that Allah is the God of the Bible? Okay. Now, you'd be surprised how many ministers do. And without mentioning names, we have one person who went uh, from another nation to a particular nation and said to the president of the nation, you believe in Allah, we believe in God, we both believe the same. Well, what I want to talk about in this session is the God of the Bible. That's what we're talking about. So, let's start right there. You all ready? Thank you, all six of you. <laughs> Put down, uh, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll read it. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And here we have the first two command of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20 and verses 1 and 2. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So the first two commandments, God first. No other gods before or beside me. And, 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 and commandment num number two is no images of, of God, no uh, bowing down to any image like that. All right, now what I would like you to do uh, is uh, a little bit here. Before we come to the questions, uh, I, I, because I'm, a, I'm, I'm an abominable writer, I write in tongues, <laughs> which need interpretation. I want you to put up here, uh, if you've got a bit of paper there, uh, just um, two lines. Just get a bit of paper there. It's supposed to be straight lines. Okay, so this is what I want to do. One, two, three, four, five, six... That'll do. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six. That'll do. Now, I'm not going to put all this on the board because I said I'm not a good writer, but I want you to look at uh, different nations in a moment here. Let, let's go through some of the questions first of all and then come back to that. All right, so questions that we'd ask. We're, we're trying to discover the God of the Bible. Okay, so number one, is there a God? Number two, what does the word God mean to you? God is not a name. Because as you go through the scriptures, you know, you shall have no other gods beside me. And if you bow down and worship other gods, there's so many warnings uh, that God has given to Israel. And uh, when God went down, uh, sent Moses and Aaron down to Egypt, uh, every one of the plagues 
was actually a play against one of the gods that they worshipped. They worshipped the river Nile. They worshipped the firstborn. They worshipped uh, lice. That's why they were lousy. They worshipped frogs. Uh, they worshipped, and, and God said against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And then I've got many scriptures here. Uh, you're not to bow down to their gods, not to go a-whoring after their gods, not to sacrifice to their gods, not to make molten gods, not to inquire after God, not to worship their gods. Not to fear other gods. So, so many. And so, uh, what does God mean to you? The word God. And like when Moses went down to Egypt, uh, he said to God, what is your name in the burning bush? And he says, no use me going down saying, the God of your fathers has, uh, has sent me unto you. They will say to me, what is his name? God is not a name. God is simply an object of worship. And the word God is used of the devil, who's the God of this world. It's used of humankind, you are gods. It's used of uh, demon spirits. So God's not a name. Okay, that's what we have to find. So is God a proper name? I've answered that. Number four, is there a supreme God above all gods? You're allowed to say amen. How can we know that God exists? Most nations and people groups believe in God, but is he the God of the Bible? Do nations rise and fall according to the God or gods they worship? Uh, eight, has God revealed himself to mankind? We say yes, amen, in the Bible. Uh, what is the biblical revelation or description of the true God? How can we personally come to know God? What happens to a people, uh, a person or a people, group or nation who willfully reject the knowledge of the true God? And uh, does faith in the God of the Bible or other gods determine a person's character, lifestyle and eternal destiny? We can all say Amen to that. It does. All right, now, just put down some of these things, and it's uh, uh, too vast. Uh, I was hoping to have get, got this done for you, but I, I didn't. Okay, uh, oh, that should have been up there. We'll put it here. Okay, in the first column here, we have polytheistic nations. So I won't write all up there, but polytheistic nations. And summarizing this, these are nations that believe in many gods. Now, we're, we're trying to discover the God of the Bible. That's where we've got to begin. In the beginning, God. So polytheistic nations and these nations, let me just say a few of them anyway, uh, many gods. So nations of in antiquity and some modern nations today, uh, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, Grecians, and Romans. That's, that's enough. I'll say those again. You don't need to put them all down. But the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Canaanites, uh, the Babylonians, the Grecians, Romans, they believed in many gods. So they were polytheistic, polytheistic, many gods. Then we have pantheistic nations. I won't spell it all out here. This thing can't spell pantheistic nations and this is those nations that believe all is God and God is in all so uh, some of the songs that came out a number of years ago with the hippie movement uh, flower power you know I believe in power I believe in the flower uh, uh, God's in the cat, God's in the dog, God's in everything. We, we, we see God everywhere, worshipping God in nature. So all is God and God is all. Pantheism. And then you come to atheistic nations. So just put uh, atheistic. 
atheistic nations. Uh, It's just just interesting to... uh, um, Depends how far you want to go on this. It's interesting just to get a map of the world. And uh, I've made a list of them in my own, for my own benefit. But just getting a map of the world, and you can superimpose. Remember one of the questions we said, uh, do nations rise and fall according to the God or the gods they worship? Yes. And you can just get a map of the world and superimpose upon every nation of the world, whether they're polytheistic, pantheistic, atheistic nation. What would be the first atheistic nation you'd think of? Russia. Russia. All right. What about communism? And what about some of the religions? Buddhism. Atheist. See? And just to see nations, what's the, uh, been the big blessing on the Western nations, which they're turning from? Christianity. Yeah, Christianity and the belief in the true God of the Bible. But look what's happening in the U.S. now. Get rid of the Ten Commandments in so many court, law, uh, court uh, houses now, and they're still trying to get in God we trust off the almighty dollar. And since prayer was put out of the school, you know, the divorce rate and the abortion rate and the sexual immorality has skyrocketed. Eh? So when a nation turns from the true gods, what happens? There, there's some of the questions that we've got. Okay, so atheistic nations, why don't you put them down? Russia, China, Buddhism, Thailand, Burma. You just look at a, a world map here. Uh, atheism uh, is no God. So you've got uh, those who say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. And then under this, you would put agnostic. And what's an agnostic? Well, you don't know whether there's God or not. One of the uh, newspaper writers, he's a very good writer. He's an agnostic. Humanism, evolutionism, all right, atheistic. And then... You could go to, the next one here is the theistic nations. The nations that believe in God or a God of some sort. So, let me give you some of these. Judaism, the Jews, although you'll find when I was in the Middle East, 80% of the Jews are atheistic. Now, I'm not anti-Jew, anti-anybody, but when I was in the Middle East uh, with the Messianic Jews, 80% of the Jews are atheistic and they don't believe in God. They said Moses was a smart man, a smart Jew who put it over the Egyptians like we did in the Six-Day War. And 80% of them say, we don't want any rebuilt temple or animal sacrifices, anything like this. If we do that, then the Jews in New York will cut us off financially, and we need that. You know, need to get enlarge our thinking. Uh, Islam. And what are the nations that are ruled by Islamic culture? Indonesian, Malaysian, Arab nations. And then theistic nations, European nations, so many nations in Europe are getting more atheistic all the time. And then, of course, UK, USA, Australia, uh, there's a basic belief in the one God. It's just a matter is, is this the God of the Bible? That's what we're trying to find out. Okay, and then number five, uh, I'll just abbreviate this here, put the cults. And in the, the pamphlets I held up to you before, cults in Christendom. 
what their view of God is. Christian science, you know, what do they believe about God, so forth. So Christian science, spiritualism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Unification, Church of Christadelphians, uh, they all have different concepts of God. Concepts of God. But is is it the God of the Bible? And then uh, finally here is, uh, I put this as satanic. So cults, spiritist churches, satanist churches, demon worship, and uh, the self-cults, you will be as gods. In fact, how many have seen this in the the Knox? My wife and I were there yesterday. There's a new bank opening, and it's the me bank. Me. (laughs) Me. How how many have seen that? I said, can you believe it? Meism, selfism. You will be as gods. So self-cults and everything like that. So as you look at that, that gives you the big picture. Now what we want to look at together is the God of the Bible. Okay, now let's go back to our notes here. Page one on the the God of the Bible. All right, uh, letter A, intuitive belief. All mankind has an intuitive belief in the existence of God or a God or God's. And Ecclesiastes says in the New King James that God has set eternity in their heart. So we're born, there's an intuitive belief. We either, you know, we either uh, come to believe in God. What have I got in my notes here? Um, we were created by God for God to worship and serve God. And if we don't know the true God, we either create a God or worship the crea- uh, created or the creature or we set ourselves up as God, self-worship, or people end up in Satan and demon worship. And, uh, and, and it gets back to the original sin. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Satan wanted to be God, and he appealed to Adam and Eve. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. So it's, it's born in us. Uh, A letter B, I've already covered this really. Creation reveals a creator. It's the inadequacy of creation. So creation reveals a creator, his power, but not his person. That's important. So creation does not reveal the person. It reveals his power. C, the initiative of God. And I've said this before. Unless God takes the initiative to reveal himself to mankind, man cannot know God. He will stumble along in the darkness of human intellectualism. And then let me uh, bear with me as I read this. The God of the Bible is one who reveals himself to his creation. God created men with mental and spiritual faculties and intended that man may know him. The fall of man has dulled these mental and spiritual faculties and man of himself cannot discern God. God, however, in grace and love has taken the initiative and given a progressive revelation of himself consummating in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man can only personally know God through Christ. Man of himself cannot know and understand God. He to worshipping many gods and the ultimate, as we're seeing in uh, Acts 17, the ultimate is an altar to the unknown and unknowable God. All right, D, the God of the Bible. So under D, we have the, what we call the essential and moral attributes. 
Uh, let me explain this a little bit. I'll read it first of all. So essential attributes are those attributes that make God who he is, God. These are incommunicable attributes that the creature will never ever have or attain to. In the following page there, or on the next page of mine, it is, how many believe God is uh, omnipresent? There's certain, these essential attributes of God that make God, God, we will never have that. You will never be omnipresent. How many think you're going to be like God when you get to heaven? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> In the essential attributes, you'll never be like God. You'll never be omnipresent. Sometimes I feel, as a human being, I feel sorry for God because God can't go anywhere. <laughs> I like to travel a little bit, but God can't travel. He's already there. He's omnipresent. He can't go anywhere. <laughs> Does that boggle your mind? Okay. God is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. How do you like to know everything? You're headed bust. <laughs> we'll never be God. So there's attributes of God like omnipresence, omnipotence. We'll never have those attributes. They, they are attributes of God that make God who he is, God. All right, so they're incommunicable, as we've got there. These are incommunicable attributes that the creature will never, ever have or attain to. Then secondly, we have moral attributes. Uh, these are those attributes that make God who he is as to his nature and character. These attributes, perfect holiness, righteousness, love, faithfulness, are communicable attributes that God desires mankind to possess. Okay, so... Uh, uh, you've got to keep that in mind. When people say, well, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to know all that there is to know and know everything that God does. <laughs> no, you won't. How many know what I think is the best definition of eternal life in the Bible? Might like to put it down. John 17 and verse 3. John 17, verse 3. And let me read it to you so I get it right. John 17 and verse 3. And it says here, And this is life eternal, what? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what's eternal life? Just to know God. And you know, when people say to me, well, I'm going to know all that God knows. <laughs> no, you won't. You know what I believe eternal life is? For all eternity, God is going to be unveiling and revealing himself to us. We'll never, we'll never be God. And that boggles my mind that for all eternity, this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So the attributes of God. All right, so the mole. Now, let's go to this page here. And um, let's see where we are. Just a, a brief comment on them. All right, so, so if I say to us now, remember what we're using as our base here. There are many gods, but to us, everybody say to us. Yes. To us, there is one God, the Father. And there are many lords, but to us, there's one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so God has revealed himself, as I said, in the Word. This is a revelation of God, from God, to man, through man. So this is how God has revealed himself in the Bible. All right, number one, the God of the Bible is, first of all, a spirit being. 
a spirit being. You might like to add a little thought here and there on some of these, a spirit being. So God is not a human being. He's not a physical being, but he's a real spirit being with all the faculties with which he's endowed mankind. So in the the Bible, we'll often find language like this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, do you think there's two big eyeballs (laughs) running around in the universe like marbles? (laughs) No. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and the finger of God. So uh, theologically, we refer to that as anthropomorphic language, where God uses the language of humankind to help us to confine him, you know, and, and understand him. But the eyes of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, uh, when the glory of God passed uh, by Moses, he said, you'll see my back parts, but you won't see my face. Well, did, did Moses just see God behind or what, what's he say? So he's using humankind language to try and describe uh, a being who is a real being, but a spirit being. So God is a spirit being. But you see, idolatry tries to make God, God. I want a visible God. So I, uh, I think uh, it's in Isaiah 41 somewhere, I think. Just the stupidness of idolatry. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. I think it's Isaiah 41. And he says, man goes out and because he rejects the true God, he tries to make himself a God. So he said, he cuts down a tree and a third part of the tree he puts in the fire and makes a fire a third part of the uh, of the tree uh, he cuts and carves a, a god out of it uh, with eyes that can see that cannot see ears that cannot hear hands that cannot move legs that cannot walk and uh, the third part of it he does something else with it and he says this is god so the stupidity of idolatry how can a man who has eyes that see worship a tree that has eyes and can't see and how can a man who has ears to hear worship a tree god that has ears and can't hear uh, And he has hands to move and legs to walk, and he worships a a God that can't walk and can't move. You know, Uh, it's absolutely stupid to worship an inanimate. So the stupidity of idolatry. So God is a spirit being. Number two, just very brief comment here. Number two, God is eternal. Now, these attributes that I'm saying to you, we can't comprehend in our finite mind. God is eternal. He always was, he always will be. Uh, he, he, he doesn't say, I, uh, I am the I was or I, I will be. I am. That's eternity of being. Eh? And, and do you think we're going to have eternal life? Yes, and live as long as God does. Can you comprehend that? Eternity, in other words, timelessness, without beginning, without end. Now, we're talking about the God of the Bible. He's not limited by time or to time, but he works in time. So eternity of being. God works in time. I've given you a scripture. He's the eternal. All right, number three. Listen to this. This is the God of the Bible. All the idols, idolatry, and all this over here, nothing can compare with the God of the Bible. Number three, God is self-existent. In other words, he who exists in and by um, of himself. He owes his existence to no other. We are created beings and therefore dependent. So, self-existent. 
He is life in himself. He's the life source, underived and inexhaustible. Number four, the God of the Bible is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There is nothing... Oh, let me ask you a question. Is there anything impossible for God? How many would say yes? Uh, yes, you're right. How many would say no? The answer is yes and no. In his essential attributes, there's nothing that's impossible for God. But the Bible, in his moral attributes, it's impossible for God to lie. So there's something God can't do, something impossible. It's impossible for God to lie because that would violate his moral attributes, see, who is perfect truth and faithfulness, okay? So he's omnipotent. Nothing is impossible for him that's within his moral attributes. In fact, uh, theologically would say God's moral attributes govern his essential attributes. You're all thinking out there? Number five, God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knew it all from, be- from beginning, from eternity. He sees all and knows all. So when you pray, don't give God too much, you know. Oh, God, you mightn't have known this. <laughs> but you know Mrs. Smith over there, she's got a broken leg, and I've had her heart on my leg all this week. Heal her. And God knows it. So you're not telling God anything he doesn't know. So just be careful in your prayers. Don't, don't give God a lot of information you don't think he knows. <laughs> And, and with this omniscient that he knows everything, there's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom, he directs all. Knowledge, he knows all. Understanding, he discerns all. Let me say that again. So in omniscience, wisdom, he directs all. Knowledge, he knows all. And understanding, he discerns all. All right, number six. Uh, We've already mentioned this. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. Now, you just think, uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but when I study this, I think, Lord, you're the God of the Bible. You're so wonderful beyond my comprehension. Now, you think if God wasn't omnipresent, he flung all the universal worlds out there and the planets and the stars in the Milky Way, and then what do you think if God wasn't pre- uh, everywhere present at the same time? He's all of a sudden thinking, oh, the Milky Way. It's got out of control. Gabriel, run over and put those planets in the... We're getting a milkshake here. Let's uh, do something. And he says to Michael, the archangel, oh, I can't be everywhere present at the same time. Michael, run over. There's a few planets down there. Planet Earth's gone wild. Oh, you know, I mean, you think if God wasn't omnipresent, we'd have wells in collision. We'd have, Star Wars would be nothing. <laughs> but God's everywhere present. And the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Aren't you glad God's everywhere present? He's got it all under control. This is, this is the God of the Bible. None of the books that I've got talk about this. 
because they don't know the God of the Bible. So omnipresent, everywhere present, universal Loki. He's not limited by to or by space. And, and I can't comprehend that. I mean, the scientists say now there's space and when we get into space, but beyond space, uh, there, there's space beyond the universe of worlds uh, where there's nothingness. But they seem to be filling up with uh, extra planets. Where are they coming from? I mean, it boggles your mind. But this is our God. This is the God who created us. All right, number seven. He's immutable. He's unchanging and unchangeable in nature and character. His moral attributes. He may change his mind when people repent and change their mind, like when God sent Jonah to Nineveh. When they repented, God changed his mind. He repented. But God never repents of his moral attributes. They are unchangeable. So God will change his mind as to his purpose. So when Nineveh repented, God did not destroy the city, much to Jonah's disgust. Uh, Number eight, comprehend this. I I can't. These things I'm saying to you, I can't comprehend. God is immense. How big is God? Uh, Does he fill the universe? Or beyond the universe, does he fill space? Or beyond space where there's nothingness, does he fill that? How big is your God? And yet he dwells within us. I mean, immense. Immensity of being. I can't comprehend that. Uh, Number nine, incomprehensible. The more you know about God, the less you know about him. We're trying to describe the infinite. How can we do it? How can I do it? I can't. He's so great. Incomprehensible. Mortal man can never ever fully comprehend God. Though incomprehensible, he is knowable. He reveals himself to his creatures, but human frailness would fall before it. So though he's incomprehensible, he's knowable. He reveals himself to us. Uh, Number 11, he is, uh, 10, sorry, infinite. In other words, unlimited, totally unlimited. He's the limitless one. In contrast to finite man, and man is finite in all things always, but God is infinite. You know, so when I hear men say, well, I don't believe in God, I'm an agnostic, you don't know whether it's a God or not. Uh, so you little, you know what God says about the nations in Isaiah? He says the nations are just like a, do you know what he says? The nations are like a drop in the bucket. That's it. And then he says in the next verse, the nations are like the small dust of the earth. <laughs> They're gone. And we get so conceited and so proud, the Almighty, we're the greatest nation on the earth. Ah, hey, we're just a bit of dust. Just, you know, st- human, stinking human pride. The, the more you know the God of the Bible, say, wow, we've got nothing to be proud of, about. Okay, number 11, he's invisible. Because he's a spirit being and unlimited, how can you confine God? So as a spirit being, being omnipresent, omnipresent, everywhere present at all times and all places, he cannot be seen by human eyes unless he reveals himself. So, you know, in the Old Testament it says, they saw God. Or no man can see my face and live. It was God revealing himself. The great God of the universe revealing himself either in a vision or what we say a Christophany, a theophany, invisible to human eyes unless he 
makes himself visible. Um, let me boggle your mind. Is your mind getting boggled yet? We'll be closing soon. But when you get to heaven, who do you think you're going to see? Do you think you're going to see God? Now listen to this mind-boggling scripture. First Timothy chapter, have I said that? Oh, you've got it there. First Timothy chapter 6, 6, 6, 16. Listen to what it says. God is light. Now try and comprehend this. I can't. You might be able to. God is light. He dwells in light that no man hath seen or can approach unto. No man hath seen nor can see. So if I go to heaven, when I go to heaven, I'm looking for God. Blazing, unapproachable light who no man hath seen nor can see. You know, the only way you're ever going to see God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So whichever planet, when I'm doing some interplanetary travel with some of you saints, see, in my glorified spacesuit, my body, you know, there's a whole universe of worlds God's got out there for us. You're not going to be sitting on a one-string guitar playing, this is heaven to me. That will be dull. God's got some vast plan for us that boggles our mind for all eternity. I'm trying to give you, enlarge your mind of the God of the Bible. So anytime I want to look at God who is light, unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, I will look at him through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can comprehend that a little bit, can't you? Thank you, Kevin. It's getting quiet here. Okay, uh, number 14. 14, God is independent. He is the only independent. Oh, 12. Oh, he's majestic, that's right. Oh, thank you. Majestic. Oh, I missed that. I've got two immortals here. Okay, majestic, absolute brightness and glory, majesty and light. Light which no man can approach unto. I've sort of said that. Majestic. Immortal number, uh, no, yeah, immortal. Yes, man is mortal. The word mortal, by the way, means death doomed. And all of us, unless Jesus comes, how many would like to see the uptaker and not the undertaker? Especially with the price of funerals going up. Uh, but we are mortal. We are death doomed. One of the meanings of mortal is uh, death doomed. God is immortal. No death. As a physical being, God cannot die. He's life in himself and he's the life source eternality and immortality all right number 14 I have to keep going here he is independent he's the only independent of the universe that's why we don't like to say in city life church we are an independent church we are interdependent we cannot be independent ourselves we are dependent upon God you know when uh, Herod said you know they set him up as God said you know the very one in whose hand is your breath he can just take your breath away and you're done you know we are eternally dependent on and so when man gets lifted up in pride say well I don't believe in God if I see God I mean one of our prime ministers says when I'll see God I'll just say God well how you going buddy I thought oh such pride pride God is the only independent. He owes his existence to nobody. He's self-sufficient. Number 15, God is perfect. Absolutely perfect. You see, we were created to be perfect. And that's why some of us are perfectionists. <laughs> but we, 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 we fell from perfection. We're on the way back to perfection. But see, God alone is sinlessly perfect. Absolutely perfect. And all he is, 
All he thinks, all he says, and all he does, all he can ever be is absolute perfection. Number 16, God is sovereign. And by that mean, we, we mean God rules over all cre- creation and all creation. Uh, let me just give you one verse on that. T- t- turn to Revelation 17, 17. Just a few more minutes here. Wow. Revelation 17, 17. Or have I got it there? Oh, I've got it there, yeah. Let me just read that one verse, you know. The sovereignty of God. And I think as I've got older... Not old, but older. I'm leaning more on the sovereignty of God. So, well, God, you know, things are getting worse and worse as far as the world's concerned, but you're sovereign. Listen to Revelation 17, 17. For God has put in their hearts, the heart of these ten kings of the Antichrist kingdom, I believe, to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. God's put it in their heart. So God is sovereign. And sometimes I say, Lord, you're sovereign. You put it into the hearts of people to do your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we have to depend on the sovereignty of God. All right, number 17, God is one. And uh, the national tenet of faith of Judaism, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And for those who are a little bit more studious, the Hebrew word uh, for one there, one Lord, is Echad, E-C-H-A-D. And it actually means a compound unity. So the Lord our God is one. He's a compound unity, the unity of more than one person. It was right there in the Hebrew uh, Shema, the tenet of faith, if they care to believe. But they became anti-crystal to reject Jesus Christ being God. But he's the one and only true God, Echad. All right, number 18, God is perfectly holy, absolutely sinless. He hates sin. He's holiness personified. He cannot tolerate sin. So, um, has, has anybody, I'm, I'm sure many of you do, but you know, the closer I get to God and the closer I get to the, uh, understanding the perfect holiness of God, the more sinful I realize how I, how, how I am. Has anybody feel that? See, and, and, and I said that to a minister. I said, why? The closer I get to God and feel his presence, the more I understand the holiness of God and his hatred of sin. Why do I feel so? Because when we fell in Adam, it was a long way down. And in Christ, it's a long way up. Holy, righteous, 19, perfect righteousness. Uh, One little sentence you might like to take. What's the difference between holiness and righteousness? Righteousness is God's holiness in action against sin. Holiness, the character of God, but God's righteousness, righteousness is the holiness of God in action against sin. Sin must be judged by a holy God. And then number 20, love. God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. We can't comprehend that. God is love. And the ingredients of love are goodness, mercy, grace, compassion, and kindness. You've got it on your notes there. So the ingredients of love are goodness, mercy, grace, compassion, and kindness. Number 21, God is faithful, totally reliable, totally reliable, perfectly reliable. He's faithful. You can depend upon him. Hallelujah. 
Then number 22, he is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God didn't need to create the creation. He didn't need to create the angels. We'll be dealing with that next week. Why did angels sin? What do we do about that? God didn't, he didn't need us. But he wanted us. Because he's a father and he wanted a family. Creator. Then number three, he's the sustainer. He sustains, he, he upholds the universe by his mighty word of power. And then number 24, as we sort of come to a wind up here, this is interesting. The God of the Bible has revealed himself as triune in nature and being. Do you know what is the biggest stumbling block to uh, some of these uh, religions that I've looked at here? And you know what is the biggest stumbling block to uh, theistic uh, Islam? Is the revelation of a triune God. Allah is the only God. Anyone who has other gods. And so, greatest offense is that Jesus Christ is God and the Holy Spirit is God. But God is revealing Himself. Now, uh, that, that's not our subject tonight because this is condensed. But I think the greatest um, uh, a natural illustration would be like this. Say, say if you take a a, a, a triangle, a, 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 tri, a, a object, what do you call this? Triangle, triangle yeah, triangle. But I was thinking, yeah, like a, an object. Pyramid. A pyramid, okay, same thing. Thank you for helping my feeble mind. Okay, <laughs> uh, if you, uh, a, a triangle is an object that consists of three co-equal laterals. It is one object... Yet it's a tri-object, tri-unity. And if you take away any one of the co-equal lateral sides, you, you destroy it. But then the greatest illustration of the tri-unity of God is you and I. Because when God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness, you and I are triune being. Spirit, soul, and body. We'll be dealing with this when we deal with the doctrine of man. There's only one Kevin Gunner. Who said hallelujah over there? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I am a triune being. I have three centers of consciousness. I have spirit, which is God conscious. I have soul, which is self-conscious. And I have body, which is world or sense conscious. And then I have a fourth one sometimes, unconscious. Um, LAUGHTER they're the, they're the worst type of people to deal with in a meeting, you know. <laughs> you need that at the end here. Okay, so I am a triune being, a three in one, one in three, because I'm made in the image of God. So God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three centers of consciousness in this one God, so we don't worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, we don't worship three separate gods. That's tritheism. We worship God who is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the thing. And so that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks. All right, let's finish on this. I think you've just about had enough. So the nature of being, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the God of the Bible, the believer's God. Who would stoop to the stupidity of making a God and worshiping the idol when man is made in the image of the triune God? Any God that does not measure up to these qualities is not the God of the Bible. My final thought is, I got this book in America. Why so many gods? Take your pick. 
or the God of the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible, don't you? Awesome. Omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal, perfect, holy. How can I comprehend the God who created me? Let's all stand. Thanks for being such a wonderful bunch. Make sure you're here on time next week. How many feel you've got something out these two sessions tonight? Okay. Remember, it's the advanced class. Okay. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for our time together. Thank you for your inexhaustible word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your manifesto, your Bible, your library, 66 wonderful books, Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit through so many people uh, beyond our comprehensions, Lord. And Father, we thank you that your book has revealed who you are, the God of the Bible. We worship you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we thank you for our time together. Let the uh, things we've shared tonight fall upon good ground of our heart, uh, heart, Lord, and bring forth fruit unto eternal life. And Lord, help us, Lord. Uh, help us to help others who are far from the kingdom and struggle with these things, Lord. And we depend upon your Holy Spirit to reveal the Father and the Son to those who are hungry after the living God. Let your blessing be upon us now until we gather again in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. See you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more in-depth teaching on the foundations of Christian doctrine, see the new online video teaching courses by Kevin Connor with over 60 lessons. Visit kevinconnor.org forward slash courses for details.